Hi, everybody. Uh, today is uh, December 22, uh, 2021, and this is a special episode of uh, Coronavirus Conversation. I'm honored uh, to have with me Dr. Nati Lala uh, from Johannesburg, South Africa. And um, he is a, uh, um, an anesthesiologist working in the ICU and with cardiac care, but I'll uh, let him introduce himself and probably uh, redo his name insofar as I might not have gotten it quite perfectly. Um, so here we go, Nati. Thanks, Randall, uh, and good day, everyone. Uh, my name is Dr. Nati Mdala. Um, I'm a, a cardiac anesthesiologist um, and also uh, an intensivist in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, I'm a former head of ICU at one of our academic hospitals up here in Johannesburg uh, called George Mukari uh, at Fako Mahato University. Um, and um, I'm involved as well in private practice, uh, although peripherally with the management of um, our COVID sort of ICU patients. In our hospital previously, I managed our uh, 280 bed uh, COVID ICU uh, facility, uh, which at peak in the third wave or the Delta wave, we had 180 uh, total admitted patients with COVID um, and about 60 uh, to 70 PUIs at um, any given day uh, at peak. Uh, total numbers that we had um, uh, for Delta was 810 uh, between the time that we declared Delta wave, which was our third wave, um, and uh, the end of that wave. Um, I'm out of the hospital now, uh, but um, I still see their stats. I left the end of August um, once the third wave was over. I left the hospital. Uh, but I still see there are waves in uh, this fourth wave now with well, hopefully, or we think that the majority of cases are Omicron uh, based on the sequencing data that we have available. Uh, they have peaked um, in Omicron at the hospital at 160 um, positives that were admitted uh, with about 70 odd PUIs. Um, but interestingly, uh, most of the positives have been uh, actually incidental findings. Um, so as of this morning, they had um, 16 patients on any form of oxygen, so narrow cannula, face mask, uh, only one ventilated actually, but the ventilated patient, interestingly enough, is a neurosurgical patient with a brain tumor. So the reason it's ventilated is not because of COVID, it's actually a coincidental um, COVID finding uh, with the brain tumor, and that's why the patient is actually ventilated, it's a young patient. Uh, but they're not actually um, heavily or on high oxygen, it's not for COVID that they're ventilated. Um, of the 16, we or they had uh, 13 that were on nasal cannula, um, two on high flow, uh, and one that was on NIV, um, which is CPAP. Um, so and that is out of 155 admitted patients. So it's almost a 10% uh, on oxygen patients. And within those as well, um, a few of them are actually in the hospital for something else. Uh, and the COVID is kind of uh, incidental. Um, in the private practice, which is where I am now, the private hospital that I'm at, so one of the biggest private hospitals in Joburg and was a major hospital that admits COVID um, in the last three waves. Uh, we have ECMO capabilities here as a last resort. Um, and um, at peak, we ran uh, close to about 20 ECMOs um, uh, on patients here. At the moment, um, 
from the stats that I saw um, yesterday. Um, I think they had uh, five ventilated patients. Um, about three of them actually were quite elderly. Um, comorbidities, elderly as in over 80s, significant uh, com comorbidities. Um, we had been keeping stats for vaccinations and um, against vaccinations, but over the last three weeks, they've actually stopped putting them up. So I can't actually tell you what's going on now in terms of vaccination status. But to note is that South Africa in general is uh, still less than 30% uh, vaccinated, 70% unvaccinated, um, and um, it tends to uh, go with the economic status as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so the w more well-off uh, and educated people are probably mu much more vaccinated. So, in private practice, you will have probably a higher proportion of vaccinated patients compared to the state sector. Um, I know actually the state hospital, my private hospital, they show the numbers. Um, so the numbers. We're actually close to what you would see with that type of population in the state hospital to be mainly people that cannot afford um, private health care um, who actually then go to the university hospital. So the numbers, they are more unvaccinated than vaccinated. I think they had of the 155, I think there were about 18 vaccinated patients they were in. Uh, and obviously the rest um, are unvaccinated. But like I said, uh, of the sick patients was actually just under 10% of um, that number, around about 10%. So yeah, so the status here, uh, we are in the sixth week now of um, what we think obviously started six weeks ago as Omicron, which in terms of analyzing it, it coincidentally also came up as we were starting to encourage people to um, do boosters, those who were vaccinated and um, when we're also encouraging people that are not unvaccinated to actually start considering vaccinating. Um, our scientists had predicted or were expecting um, uh, this fourth wave to start around about the 2nd of December. Uh, and uh, the information that we started getting out about eight weeks before, uh, and lo and behold, towards sort of end of November, we started seeing some cases. Um, and. Um, uh, we actually passed peak now, it's clearly past peak. Um, uh, the highest numbers that we had, uh, if you look at seven, uh, sort of seven day average numbers, probably just around 23,000, 24,000 uh, daily cases. So we have a population of 60 million uh, people in this country. So you can sort of compare to the US in terms of those numbers. Um, at the moment, uh, the last numbers, last uh, yesterday's numbers was about uh, 15,000. Uh, today, I saw that sort of, say it's gone up to 19,000, but our stats are really not daily stats. They're probably tracking by about three to four days, uh, mm -hmm. to be honest, uh, although we put them up as daily stats. Uh, the seven-day average is probably more accurate, uh, and I think that's sitting at around uh, probably 11,000, 12,000 uh, at the moment. Um, so we definitely passed peak. Johannesburg is where the first week, which is where I am now, uh, the, we peaked first. We actually had the highest numbers at some point. Um, as uh, we peaked uh, at about 12,000, 13,000 daily cases. Um, and today we were at around 3,000, I think, uh, okay, cases. So. so we've definitely peaked. Cape Town has gone up a bit higher. Uh, but also Cape Town is kind of our major um, uh, festive season destination. So a lot mm -hmm. of Joburg people have probably gone there. Uh, but um, they've just peaked uh, after us. They were at 15,000 um, 
uh, I think yesterday or, or today. So not Nati, can I ask you a couple questions? Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to maybe backtrack and maybe for some of our audience who don't understand what PUI is and ethmo, uh, maybe you could just define those. But before I, I let you go uh, and do that, I, my other question is, is the character of the Omicron wave different from uh, the previous ones? It's definitely different. It's the rise was very rapid um, within uh, I think we actually had a graph um, that um, I showed yesterday that we were going to show. Um, the rate of rise compared to even Delta um, has been uh, very steep, as you can see there. Um, the characteristics of Delta for us, it was a bit broader uh, in, terms of in terms of duration. So it ended up having a lot more cases than uh, uh, Beta, for example, which is the wave before. Uh, and um, if you look at this, Omicron wave now, uh, I mean, it's like it's a steep rise. Within two weeks, uh, we're actually probably at our highest numbers. Uh, and the drop as well has been just as rapid. Uh, but of interest, if you look at sort of the orange-yellow, um, which has been superimposed on that graph, uh, which is actually the deaths, uh, daily deaths, so average over seven days, um, one can see that for Omicron, it just stayed flat. It's a similar thing that we're seeing in the hospital settings. Um, first of all, Admitted case numbers are very low uh, for most places, especially the sick patients are way lower than we actually had with Delta. Uh, mortality rates have actually stayed in sort of double digits. I think we've touched sort of 100, but when you get up to 100 on a day, it's because also some numbers are missing over the weekend. So you have a day where there's three deaths a day, then you have a day where there's 30, and then we had one day where there's 100. Yeah. Uh, we're not sequencing every, unfortunately, death case, um, so we do not know whether all those cases are actually Omicron or not, or with some remnants of Delta. There's definitely going to be a mixture of the two, uh, but um, but yeah, um, they've stayed in terms of seven-day average. We've stayed even below um, the interwave numbers between Delta and this wave in terms of the total deaths uh, per day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just uh, I, I have the worldometer. Um, uh, stats for South Africa, and you can see the cases. You know, my my big um, issue is that we are misinterpreting the problem. We keep thinking about cases, you know, positive test. We're not really thinking about the damage. So here are the various waves. Um, I think this is an, I don't know if this is ancestral version or um, this is maybe beta, and this is delta, and this would be Omicron over here. Uh, you can see that their active cases go up and down, um, but the the deaths over here you know it's kind of no no pun intended flatline um so it's not really you know mounted this is not the the you know this is not the black death over here it's not the bubonic plague um you know we are right over here so if you you know use the apply the averaging line such as you're saying you'll see that you know this is not a wave that coincides with you know this wave of yeah. cases so if you put the same line here you can see that the the, the lines go up for cases. So if we just really, you know, focus on on this piece over here, this is now, you know, we see that the, the cases have gone up um, and then it'd be hard to superimpose it precisely, but uh, the deaths are, are have not changed. And then this is the actual uh, number per day over here. So it's, we're, we're down over here. We're talking about a country of, what did you say? How many tens of millions, 60 million? Um, 
and you're talking about you know 33 moving average about 33 deaths in the country from omicron so that that you know every you know people die people are born people are die so in a, in a nation of uh, 60 million people i forget what the number is uh you know it's going to be 18,000 deaths a day or something like that anyway i might have my number wrong i apologize but um you know, this is a very minuscule uh, percentage of the overall deaths in general, it seems to be currently. Definitely. Yeah. And so, uh, and the one thing as well, compared to what we saw in sort of beta and delta, beta in our hospital, we actually had way more sort of mid-40s people compared to the alpha variant um, uh, um, sort of passing away in the ICU. Um, in the private sector, it was actually Delta that had the highest number of sort of the youngish population. So it's sort of different waves between uh, the different population. I think it's based mainly on how also people have been isolating. In, um, in, alpha, uh, in the alpha wave or the first wave, uh, the poorer communities didn't actually, because they can't actually isolate or sorry, they can't uh, social distance. Um, they can't uh, avoid overcrowding. So they were actually maximally exposed in the first wave. Um, and in beta and delta, sort of many beta, we saw a few more younger people, but in delta, um, it, it again sort of balanced out. But the private sector, which is where people are getting more exposed in delta, they had more sort of younger population, which who have been sort of working at home, right. um, uh, coming out in delta and getting yeah. exposed. So they had actually yeah, we, a more significant had, wave. We had a very similar thing. I'm just gonna put up the this little covariant pictogram um, I'm kind of fond. Of, this is a difficult slide for maybe some people in the audience to understand, but I, I'm kind of fond of it. Um, these the, by color, you see the various, uh, I guess, mostly uh, Greek letter here, um, and this here is South Africa in the USA, for instance. Uh, this this greenish color over here is Delta. So we pretty much we're doing a Delta wave. This is not quite fully up to date. This is I think the beginning of December. You can see Omicron kind of. And, you know, yeah. shouldering, shouldering, nudging its way in here and becoming the predominant strain in South Africa. And likely we will see this as a following wave. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that this is a very different situation from from the other ones. You know, I think the ancestral version, which doesn't have a Greek letter, the original COVID, uh, you know, SARS from China you know, 2019, um, had a higher case fatality rate, partly because we didn't notice that many, we, we had to, um, we didn't have that much testing. So a case was somebody who showed up at the hospital. That's what I consider the classic definition of a case, somebody who's actually ill. We've redefined yeah. cases to be somebody who has a positive test. So now we're, we're really, you know, great at testing. So we can find these minor distinctions, um, you know, genomically and, and call this one, whatever Greek letter we decide to, in this case, Omegron, it could have been Chi or Nu or whatever. Um, but in point of fact, it seems to me that this Omicron is attenuating uh, down to, you know, something closer to just a common cold. Um, I don't know if that's correct or not. No, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely correct. Um, um, it, it's sort of a balance between both of probably much higher testing, uh, better treatment, I think, or hope, but definitely less virulence as well. I mean, this... Uh, the majority of people that I'm seeing, I'm actually treating around about, uh, I think I'm at 37 people outpatient now. Um, in general, actually almost everybody that I'm actually handling at the moment, 
they have maybe one or two days of like very bad flu, um, made worse just by the fear of COVID uh, itself. Um, but they get through sort of second, third day, and they're actually better and feeling okay. Yeah. And by the sort of fourth day, they off most meds that we put mm-hmm. them on or um, just decongestants. So the typical symptoms, just headache, stuffy nose, runny nose eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, anosmia is never really complete. So they lose smell and taste, but it's sort of never complete like like that could happen with the ancestral mm-hmm. um, uh, virus. Yeah. Uh, and tends to recover within two or three days. Um, and the fever is like worse. It does get hectic for about two days. Uh, where people that know malaria, they actually think that they actually have malaria. Um, um, and then it sort of settled just antipyretics uh, or whatever agent that you use for them. Uh, very patients have gone as far as putting them on steroids uh, at home uh, because they're never sick enough to go in. But when they're getting tired and tired, often steroids seem to help. Um, and then inhalants uh, at home. Mm-hmm. Two patients have dropped sets to around 88 at home, uh, but recovered within a few days on that. So nobody's had to go to hospital yet, uh, and we manage everybody at home. Okay. So as far as uh, the situation in South Africa on the ground, the way the people are looking at it, uh, are they taking, first of all, are they taking any prophylactic treatment, any medical treatment during the episode? Um, is it just palliative care? Are, are there prescribed medications, or do people purchase them? Um, and any thoughts about whether any of these things work? So... I think we're like the rest of the world. Here, um, at-home treatments or out-of-hospital treatments haven't really been encouraged by the government. Um, mm-hmm. So there's no structured out-of-hospital out of treatment protocols. Uh, but I'm part of groups that actually do that. I've been treating patients out of hospital since uh, the beta wave. Um, that's where we started, so December, January uh, this year. Uh, but I treated more during uh, Delta uh, and a few more now. I got to about 300 and something patients during Delta that I was treating at home. Um, because most patients cannot afford to buy medication from pharmacy. So I haven't really treated many people who do not, who do not have either medical aid uh, or medical insurance um, or can buy meds themselves. Uh, except when I was still in the state hospitals. In the state hospital, we managed to get some therapeutics that um, sort of deemed controversial. So we treated a lot of patients in our hospital during the third wave. But out of hospital, most of my patients are actually working people, people who can actually buy medication from pharmacy. Very few uh, people are not on insurance that can actually buy for themselves. Um, So there's a group uh, of treating physicians that we have here um, that amongst us, we manage actually a lot of patients. Uh, but to be honest, it's actually not um, a formalized process. And we've had lots of pushback from um, um, the insurers, from uh, our indemnity companies, and uh, eventually so some of the societies, uh, medical societies, who've declared that they're not in support of patient treatment. But amazingly, most of us, if you treat out of patient, hardly have anybody going to hospital. So we just don't understand what's, what's, what's up with that. Yeah, that, that is that. an interesting question. I, I just never really have quite figured out, you know, why everyone has to be. I, understand, I, I am pro-vaccine. I love vaccines. I've taken a flu shot every single year since medical school. And, uh, you know, for other occasions, you know, I've recommended vaccines. I've given out literally tens of thousands, well, 
least thousands, probably into the low tens of thousands of vaccines over my life. And I think they're, you know, interesting concept and they go back hundreds of years. Uh, George Washington's army, you know, had a very primitive version of smallpox uh, vaccination from person to person in order for the, you know, so that our country in part is, is founded on the concept of vaccination. So I, I love vaccines, but I, um, I don't see them as the only tool. You know, if we were still waiting for a vaccine for HIV, um, people would be dying you know, like crazy from mm. HIV. Um, you know, so if you were just, you know, when Zika came around, uh, everyone said that nobody should have children. I mean, there were various health ministers in Latin America who said nobody should have kids until we, you know, fix Zika by a vaccine. Well, it's six years later and there's no vaccine for Zika. Uh, there might be, mind you, someday, but people can't put their lives on hold waiting for a vaccine, especially the first year, uh, which I don't think was, you know, quite, uh, I think it was a little bit phased in late in South Africa um, based on, you know, distance and, and, uh, and climate and whatnot. But, you know, when there was no vaccine, you know, it seems like treatment's a reasonable approach. I mean, it certainly has worked for HIV. And again, nobody's waiting for an HIV vaccine anymore at all. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I can't quite figure out why, you know, if you have two tools, you know, if, you, if one is going to be down the road, you know, and it, tomorrow, why you shouldn't start working today with the tool you have. And even when the next one gets there, why you can't necessarily work them together. I mean, exactly. And um, even in December last year, um, I remember I, I, I had been in a group uh, with our Minister of Health and some members of our Ministerial Advisory Committee while we were waiting for vaccines. I actually said exactly that. I actually said, um, not knowing how the vaccine was going to work, we, were, we shouldn't give up on therapeutics. So I actually pulled from December last year, especially because beta was actually quite bad. Um, and I actually advised and spoke to our sort of government and said, let us work on both so that the people that either cannot take vaccines, um, are, are the reactions to vaccines, or where vaccines actually fail them, because we knew that the vaccine was not going to be 100% effective. Uh, so wherever it fails, there should be a therapeutic option. And at some point, while you're perfecting the vaccine, um, if you have effective working therapeutics, uh, you can at least buy that time by saving a lot more patients mm -hmm. until you also get to a stage where the effective vaccines. And I'm like you as well. I mean, I've taken all my vaccines uh, just before when COVID started, uh, before it actually arrived in South Africa, I made sure that I took my flu jab just so that mm -hmm. actually I wouldn't confuse the two, or at least make sure that I don't get mm -hmm. both sort of influenza and COVID at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pro-vaccine, uh, like everybody else. But the role of therapeutics cannot be downplayed. And uh, I saw this first time within beta. Um, and that's when I started using, the first wave, I didn't use any therapeutics in the first wave, not even hydroxychloroquine, uh, because we had such a mild first wave. But the second wave um, um, really got me desperate. And by the time Delta came, the rest of the country, people actually had a hectic Delta. We were the only university hospital that actually used um, Avamectin mainly uh, with uh, colchicine and um, other agents, antihistamines mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. We had one of the mildest ways compared to most hospitals. Um, uh, our mortality numbers are actually way less than um, the um, beta, which um, we had 610 admitted patients in beta and we had 805 admitted in delta. Um, the rest of the country where everybody was spinning around and nobody was actually using what we were using. Uh, so for me in both um, in hospital setting and ICU 
And out of hospital, uh, as I said earlier on, none of my out of hospital patients, more than 200 that are treated there, and I'm not a GP, but people just contacted me to help them. I didn't even charge them or anything. I treated everybody, I treated for free, but kept uh, in touch with them and followed them up until I would say to them, I'm discharging you now. Um, and not a single hospital admission of those patients. Um, um, people had probably periods of dropping sets quite low, um, two of them at home. So uh, Delta, sorry, uh, Omicron has been the same, but with Omicron, I'm not even pushing using things like Avamexin. I think people want to, I script it, and I say to them, if you want to use it, it might just shorten your disease. Uh, but Omicron has been so mild that I'm actually not, compared to Delta, Delta really would push hard, high doses, get up to even 10 days for some people. With yeah. Omicron, within three to five days, most of them call me back and say, no, I'm fine now. Mm -hmm. um, actually started doing my usual stuff of, um, I'm back either at work or I'm moving around, I'm playing golf, I'm doing this and that. Mm -hmm. So I haven't even been pushing sort of the, the, the more intense um, um, anti-inflammatories. Uh, yeah, so so right. so that's an interesting point. You know, I, I've, I, I came up with this originally, but certainly other people have came up with the same idea um, that Omicron might be the best uh, vaccine that yep. if you had to choose between the profile of the uh, vaccine, which is a single spike protein, actually from the ancestral version, it's not even from this current version. So you're picking a vaccine that is, you know, uh, seven or eight strains ago, you know, basically it's last year's uh, coronavirus. And if we, if, if we gave out last year's flu shot for this year's flu, that in a sense would be medical malpractice. You know, I, I would not be able to give out last year's flu shot unless I had huge disclaimers about like no way yeah. I could find this year's. Anyway, so we're giving the ancestral vaccine for a single spike protein. Conversely, somebody theoretically could have Omicron and the equivalent of a cough or whatever, but have, you know, a full, you know, basically natural immunity to 27 times more of the, you know, viruses proteins. And, and mind you, up to date, and, you know, for the ones that are out there now and and whatever Greek letter comes afterwards, you know, you'd, you'd be much closer to it than you were from, you know, the one a year or two years ago, it seems to me. Um, Definitely. And and for us, uh, again, probably my sample is probably a skewed sample. Um, out of sort of my more than 35 patients I'm treating at the moment, the interesting thing is that only two are actually completely unvaccinated. Um, the rest um, either just received their boosters or they just caught up with their second dose recently. Um, and, uh, and that's sort of the general sort of picture that a lot of people are actually seeing in the outpatient setting. Interestingly, so again, I think that might be skewed just because I'm dealing with people that can actually afford who would have been more, maybe most likely to vaccinate. Mm -hmm. uh, but of those people, um, I think I have one person that actually has had COVID before. Uh, and that person was exposed in um, um, in August last year, so that was the first wave. Um, the rest of the ones that actually have is people that have just they've never had COVID ever, yeah. uh, and actually getting it for the first time, uh, but vaccinated and getting whatever they're getting now. Yeah. And thank God, as you say, I think as well is probably our early Christmas gift that we actually received. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, it's a silver lining. Most people that I speak to is yeah. if you want to be exposed to anything, it's probably it if you are low risk. Yeah, uh, and you're gonna get hopefully uh, more robust immunity that's gonna last you longer. Um, yeah. 
um, until we actually probably catch up with uh, our vaccines for the new strains. Um, so for my practice, actually, it's been interesting because I've been ask, asking anybody. And in our hospital, I've actually asked them as well to actually ask patients um, if they've been exposed before. Interestingly, in this private hospital I'm at, we haven't had an admission yet of somebody that's had COVID before. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm hearing from friends and people outside. Uh, right, so that's an interesting point. So you... exposed before who, who had it. And uh, one of our insurers released stats recently, and they reckon uh, that if you had Delta, you probably 70% less chance of getting Omicron. If you had Beta, I think they put it close to about 50, 60%. And then if you had the uh, ancestral strain, you at about 30% protected for, uh, for mm -hmm. Omicron. I think those are the numbers at the moment. Yeah. You know, absolutely right. Um, you know that I, you and I are in, in, in reasonable agreement about all of this stuff. Um, I, I just had a quick question going back to this uh, chart here. Um, my, my, you know, we were all uh, in an uproar, I guess, last summer or so over Delta strain, and I don't have the India chart up, but you know, basically in, in India, Delta was just you know the the Indian strain, and people had it. And then it went away. So the, the, these, you know, graphs go up and then they go down like a roller coaster. So it goes up and goes down. At this point in India, there was, you know, very, very low, maybe 10, 15 percent uh, percentage vaccinated um, at the time of their, you know, so-called Delta strain, which is the India strain. And when you had Delta here, what percentage of the population uh, was vaccinated at that time? And why do you think it went up and went down again? Uh, was it, was it uh, you know, public health measures? Was it uh, immunity? Was it uh, the disease running its course? I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. So, so it's actually interesting that graph, if you can put it up again, uh, just so that I can talk to it. Um, so our vaccination started at um, about where your arrow is, but on mm -hmm. the upstroke of Delta. And that this is when we were vaccinating the elderly people. So a bit right. further up. Um, sort of on the upstroke of the Delta wave. Um, that's when we actually started vaccinating. Uh, and we started the elderly. Um, and uh, by the time we got to peak of Delta, we were still probably around about 10-15% um, uh, vaccinated by the time we go to the peak of Delta. Right. Now, I actually... Um, wrote about this for us because if you look there there's that inter sort of wave peak again um uh, within the delta wave um the sort of a blimp there is there there so that sort of coincides interestingly with about two weeks to three weeks after we started the vaccinations for uh, during delta so now <clears throat> within that if you spoke to people especially around um, uh, like I said, we started with the elderly. A lot of the elderly that um, or a significant number actually ended up treating a few patients uh, who were either vaccinated two weeks prior or three weeks prior to this who suddenly were presenting with COVID. Um, some of them like within actually sort of the two-week period. And that spike that we have there, I actually wrote to uh, our community here and I actually sort of called it sort of a spike protein disease. It's a presentation they I did during Delta. And I said, I actually think it's like a spike protein disease because at this stage, we're using mainly Pfizer as a vaccine. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a very odd blimp that I actually saw there. Uh, and I wondered if 
it wasn't that. And as I said earlier on, if you look at this Omicron wave, Omicron actually coincided where, again, we were either doing boosters for healthcare workers uh, and we were doing um, second doses for the young people that hadn't been vaccinated and then boosters in general for people who were beyond sort of four, six weeks of, of whatever Pfizer vaccine that they actually had. Uh, and it's been interesting to me to notice that, I mean, even um, um, in the, within the private hospitals where I am now, um, they have about 75% vaccinated healthcare workers, yeah, with about 25% who do not want to vaccinate. Um, at the peak of, of Omicron, um, sort of about two weeks ago, um, we had in this hospital uh, almost 200 staff um, who were actually positive. And most of them were very close to about two weeks or so after their booster doses. So for me, that coincidence has been very interesting. Um, and um, I ended up actually saying to some of the staff members that probably need to wait until about January once the wave is fully down, if they want to actually boost again the ones that haven't, um, or to get uh, their second doses, the ones that actually haven't. I, I think there's actually a link between the two. Uh, it's an uncomfortable thing to say, I know, but it's that's the that's observation. I think what you observe is what you observe. Could you tell me, uh, tell me just describe that link again, please? So, so describe the. To, to tell me, you say I think there's a link, a link between what and what. So I think there's a link because it sort of coincided. Actually, think three things happened. So we pushed very hard to get boosters done uh, for people that were sort of six weeks, uh, sort of six months and beyond for for Pfizer, mm -hmm. uh, and then people that were due the second doses. There was a big push, and then people that were supposed to be first time uh, mm -hmm. vaccinated because we're, we're anticipating sort of Omicron. That was the, that was the going uh, discussion just before uh, Omicron hit. Um, so if you look at our vaccination numbers, which I don't have here, I'm not sure if you've got them on your screen, um, you'll notice that our significant push uh, for, for vaccines started sort of mid-November, um, uh, sort of early, mid, uh, to, early to mid-November. And around about two weeks beyond that, um, this is also like around about when we actually started seeing the spike in Omicron. Um, so when I'm looking at the healthcare workers, um, so J&J was our main vaccine for healthcare workers in uh, February, March. So when um, there's a recommendation that the J&J vaccine booster should be done beyond eight months for South Africa, a lot of the healthcare workers started boosting in October, the ones who did their first doses in um, uh, February. Uh, some people were later and actually started doing their boosters in November. Mm -hmm. um, within the bureau I work with, I know a lot of people started doing their boosters uh, beginning to mid-November. Uh, and a few of the staff actually that they've been working with, as I say, uh, for this hospital, we probably picked about 200 uh, staff that actually were positive. Uh, and the majority of them was actually following either an mRNA booster to J&J, &J, uh, some people prefer to do that, or others took a second J&J uh, uh, booster uh, uh, for the original. All right, well, I was, I'm trying to get up the the data for South Africa on, on immunizations. Uh, I'm having a little bit of, you know, distraction trouble. I can't, I don't think I can do it quite off the bat for us right now, so I'm gonna stop that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we had probably one of our big sort of spikes in, in boosting about six weeks ago. Hmm. And I did want to make one correction to myself, um, because these uh, these dates here in the bottom, if you look at the, you know, if you pause the slide and expand it when you're watching, uh, these are in the um, non 
U.S. formulation of oh, date. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I said January over here because it said started zero one, one but the months uh, are in the middle. So this is yeah, September 2020. We, we so the... you had your, your, your ancestral version peak in January, excuse me, in, um, yeah, December, January. Uh, you know, now our ancestral was ago. June, July last year. Well, well he, here it says 12, 2020, and then Delta is... That was beta. Oh, the, oh, I'm sorry. So which is which here? So the graph that we have there does not have the ancestral wave. Oh, I see. It's yeah. prior. Okay, yeah. my, my mistake. So this is yeah. which version? This is beta, 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 and this is delta, and that's Omicron. Fair enough. Okay, my, my error. Um, oh, I don't think I had it on the stream here. So, um, so just to clarify, uh, these dates in the middle are the months. So that's September 2020. Uh, this is January 2021. Yeah. And this is so. This is uh, the that's beta, beta, and this is uh, delta, delta, Omicron. And Omicron. then if we go back to the other uh, chart. Um, well, I'll, I'll remove this, but at any rate, we can see the three uh, peaks from the South Africa um, yeah. strain. So, uh, so you've been very informative. What, what are the, what, what's the take-home message for uh, people watching this? What do you what, what do you think? So, I mean, um, we've been trying sort of to share this with everybody. Um, uh, I've, we've also spoken to, spoken to some people in the UK is that, first of all, Omicron definitely is a milder virus uh, in the majority of patients. Um, probably a few days of really bad flu-like symptoms, um, very manageable with sort of typical um, flu meds that people usually take at home for regular flus uh, without needing to, to actually get, a, to, to get admitted. Uh, if one were to be exposed to anything, uh, that is um, uh, coronavirus or COVID-19. This is probably the virus too. Uh, mortalities are really um, minimal. And in most hospitals, if they actually do declare who actually has died, uh, it's been uh, the very elderly, significant comorbidities, or patients who have something else. Most of the findings have been incidental um, um, in the hospital settings. Um, so it is not something, even in my opinion, I agree, to actually be panicking about. Um, unfortunately, because it's highly contagious, the numbers are going to be high mm -hmm. um, as we test much more and more aggressively. Interestingly, our government now has actually advised that um, people who are not sick should not actually be tested anymore uh, just because we're having so many incidental findings, which we then call in COVID-19. And if one thing is that COVID-19 is supposed to be a syndrome of somebody who's sick with a positive swab, uh, at the moment we actually have more cases, kind of the typical case-edemic situation, um, uh, positive cases who are actually not sick, which yep. excuse the numbers. If you actually looked at sick people uh, with a positive swab, those are actually a fraction of the cases that we actually have uh, at the moment. Um, so it's definitely not something to be panicking about, and I don't think it's something that government should be pushing in my opinion, and uh, I've been giving this advice, is that if you vaccinate in the middle of the peak, uh, where we know that people actually reduce their immunity, you're highly and most likely going to have more uh, positives or people actually just then get a flu-like illness from corona, which is then circulating in the community, and that spikes your numbers. And I think that's what we're seeing in the UK. If you look at the UK, they have the highest peak at the moment. Uh, compared to any of the previous waves. And what they're doing right now is that they're aggressively boosting in the middle of the wave 
with high circulating probably uh, COVID and reducing uh, uh, population immunities for at least we know now, uh, or there's a suspicion in certain quarters, and I belong with those people, uh, that there's actually a reduction in immunity for about two weeks post-vaccine, uh, post, uh, whether it's a booster or whatever. And at that stage, you're actually highly exposed. Um, and if you, you meet somebody who actually has COVID uh, in a way, then actually you're going to get it as well. And I think that's what we're seeing all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the UK, the, the numbers might actually go even higher and higher because yep. they, they, they're actually doing exactly that. They, they, they're boosting in the middle of circulating virus uh, yep. and, um, um, and they're negatively affecting the immunity and, uh, and they will get positive pe- people uh, or recently boosted people who are going to get COVID. Um, and I think that's happening all over, all over the world as people are panicking. So I don't think it's time to panic. People should just either get exposed, get sort of proper immunity to that, and then uh, we'll see past that wave. Uh, it's definitely not going to hamstring or overwhelm any um, uh, healthcare facilities. We definitely not overwhelmed. In Joburg, as we pass peak, um, uh, in this hospital where I'm at now, at peak, I think we had probably six to seven ICUs are running COVID. At the moment, we have one ICU, and it's got 13 patients in it. Um, that's all. Um, we have a, a total of, I think today, we had a total of 28 or 27 patients. 14 of those are in the normal ward. They're not even on oxygen. Uh, and 13 are in ICU. And of those that are in ICU, I think about um, probably 11 or 10 um, are on just nasal cannulae um, oxygen, few ventilated, uh, one or two that are ventilated. So it's definitely, compared to where we were in Delta, it's... Um, I know, 10th, if not more, um, reduction in, in, in sort of significance or severity. Oh, I think that's an amazing and important message. I'm just going to uh, just corroborate some of the things you said here uh, very briefly. This is the UK, uh, United Kingdom, uh, high number of cases. If this looks familiar, it's because it is. Uh, active cases went up. Um, deaths, again, no pun intended, flatlined. Uh, and you can see uh, pretty much as in South Africa, um, the number of fatalities are very low. I always think, as as you've uh, very you know accurately pointed out, that a lot of people are dying. You know, not, not necessarily from, but with uh, COVID. And so, and just to clarify your earlier point, here is the ancestral version yeah. um, at South Africa. So there, you, you've actually literally had four waves that were. Uh, this is from July uh, 2020. Uh, January 2021 was uh, beta. Uh, Delta is over here in the summer. And here we're having Omicron. Um, you know, it, over over time, uh, you know, one of my little—I uh, don't know if this—this uh, this is what I, I think is the case. You know, the more severe viruses that we get uh, have um, kind of an offloaded, um, like a summer home, uh, you know, of a, of, a, of a some kind of host animal reservoir. So the influenza we get yearly packs a little bit more punch because it. It's not in humans. It's not passing around between people. It's passing around between, you know, farm animals in China someplace, and they bring them in in the house in the winter because they're small farms, and then they, you know, sneeze on each other, whatever, and then they the, the humans bring themselves to market, and then we have the Shanghai flu, the Hong Kong flu, uh, et cetera, et cetera, year after year. Uh, if this is going to be a, a, a virion that doesn't go back to its animal reservoir to kind of re formulate and make a new tough version of itself, then generally it will, you know, kind of peter out. It will attenuate over time. Uh, you know, the normal common cold doesn't have an animal reservoir unless we consider ourselves the animal. 
And so it's just going from person to person to person to person. And it can't, if it, if it knocks you down too much, it's unsuccessful in passing to the next person. So I, the comparison I came up with is, I don't know if you have this experience, uh, if you've used this word in, in South Africa, but we call it crowd surfing, where a singer, you know, at a big, has a, you know, 10,000 people in the audience and he's singing away. And at some point he jumps into the audience. This is a kind of a popular thing pre pre 2020. And the, the fans, you know, hold him up and they, they pass him around and then they bring him back to the stage. Well, that's great. If, if your singer weighs like less than 200 pounds, that's awesome. If your singer were 500 pounds and jumps into the audience, it would like, it would go splat and then he wouldn't get passed around. So the, the bigger, heavier, more powerful uh, virons like Ebola, I would say, is like a 500 pound yeah. singer that, that go, jumps into the crowd and everybody around there, mind you, has a horrible time. You know, so when Ebola comes, it's like, boom, it's like a crater, you know, from, from an acid, you know, meteor or something like that. And boom, big explosion. But it doesn't get passed around. In order to be passed around, you have to be light enough that you don't destroy the people carrying you. And, um, you know, I think Omicron is, is kind of the logical, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, next step. And whatever, get, whatever, I have to get back up in my Greek alphabet. And mind you, they're not really fair because they skip a few letters. Um, but whatever the next one is after Omicron, again, it, it will probably become closer and closer to the common cold. And likely the coronaviruses we have right now, uh, one out of five of common colds historically are coronavirus. And so if we look back, you know, through the generations, thousands and tens of hundreds of thousands of years, you know, likely some of the ones that we consider common colds, they might've been more powerful like SARS-1 or SARS-2, but they wind up attenuating in order to just be passed from person to person, which is their success mode. So if we're gonna keep having the thing around and not communicate with bats and pangolins on a regular basis, then it's gonna, in my view, it's gonna to have to you know, self-attenuate, make, make into milder versions. That's definitely the hope. And I think the example you use is a great example. Uh, I mean, I, I, I have no crystal ball. I'm not sure what's going to happen in our winter next year. Uh, we'll be expecting something to happen. Uh, what it will be, nobody knows. Uh, but I mean, I think for the rest of the world uh, to take to heart is the fact that we're still under 30% vaccinated. And this is the mild version of whatever is going on that we have. Exactly so right. if you're highly vaccinated somewhere well, that's else, an excellent either, point. either you hope that is going to be the same for you, uh, but there's no reason to panic because um, most, of the, most of the world, including the U.S., you've done way better than us in terms of getting the population vaccinated. Uh, but we, this is what we are saying with the, with the lower number. So I think that's actually a positive thing to look forward to. But it's definitely and hopefully, I mean, if you look at how well, they say it's how many mutations, 35 mutations that they have on it. Uh, so you think that if you mount a response to that, it has, it has to set you better. Uh, for the whatever's coming up next uh, in terms of being able um, to, to, to fight whatever's coming up next, it has to. Uh, that's what makes sense scientifically anyway. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm inclined to believe that. Uh, and uh, especially if you look at the fact that uh, even with the previous ones, which are not people that have been exposed to the previous one, uh, definitely people that have Delta are not coming up in this wave uh, with, uh, with Omicron. Um, so hopefully this will actually be um, the start of the end, and I hope it is. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Nati. Um, I very much appreciate your generosity and your time. Clearly, you had a long work day. I want everyone to know that uh, you know it's middle of the day for me, but for Nati, it's uh, the end of the work day, and he's been a you know extremely generous and, and informative uh, person for us and a great soul. So uh, thank you so much, 
Um, any last words for our audience? Uh, thanks for having me over. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm glad I could share some information. Uh, for the audience, is just stay strong, stay positive. When you do get ill, um, I speak to a lot of people. When it is bad, it does feel bad, maybe for a day or two. Uh, but um, definitely treatments work. Just make sure that you speak to people that know how to treat. Um, and um, it will be just a bad flu uh, for uh, definitely the 90% or more of people. I think actually even higher than that. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, and a well-deserved